Mickey said, a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In a moment, we're going to pray for ourselves, but when I do, I want to remind you and ourselves that God's kingdom is so much bigger than just Fraser. He's at work here, and praise God for it, but he's at work all around the world, and we do that each week by remembering another church or ministry. And this morning, we get to remember Sage Hills Free Methodist Church, and it, it is in Wenatchee, Washington. I finally got it right. Um, and we want to lift up that Free Methodist Church with ourselves this morning, so if you'll bow your heads, we will pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you are a God who saves. You are a God who sees. You are a God who cares. Father, thank you for coming down from heaven and choosing the cross to ransom us and to rescue us. Father, I pray that we would never lose sight of that amazing grace. Father God, I just want to pray for everyone in this room and those listening on TV and online. Lord, would you make your love known to them? Father, would you open their eyes that they might see how good you truly are? Father, I don't know what each of us are dealing with. This life can have trials, but God, I know that you are good and you promise to never leave us or forsake us. So Father, I pray that we would come with open eyes and open hearts, attentive to your word, because I know it never comes back void. Lord, we pray for Sage Hills, that your power would be amongst them this morning. And Lord, I pray for, pray for Pastor Chris as he shares your word. May he do it in humility and in power and in love. Speak, Lord, your children are listening. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Six or seven years ago, I found myself in Israel. And the trip was almost over, and um, I thought, well, I better buy some souvenirs. So I went up, and there was a table there, and uh, people were selling different things, and I saw a necklace. And uh, I, I liked the necklace, and I said, how much is this? 
And the, the guy said, it's three for $15. 15 U.S. dollars, three for $15. I said, that's nice, but I just want one. And he said, I tell you what, I like you. And I'm going to give you a deal because I like you. I'm not going to give this deal to anybody. None of your friends can have this deal, but for you, for you, I'll give you five for 30. I said, well, I don't want three. And I don't want five. And you just went up on the price. <laughs> and he looked a little embarrassed and he just said, uh, he asked a brilliant question. He said, how much is it worth to you? I said, I want one for $5. He ended up selling me two for seven. <laughs> but he asked a great question. How much is it worth to you? How bad do you want it? The rich man in our text today, he could probably do math quickly in his head. He probably had a keen eye for spotting a good deal, and he probably did not waste his time when he smelled a bad deal. He was probably very, very smart and wise when it came to business. But in this encounter with Christ, this was a business deal unlike anything he had ever experienced. While he had traded in goods and, and done very well, according to the text, he was extremely wealthy. While he had traded in goods, he had never had to bargain for his own soul. And that's exactly what he puts on the table today. But the conversation does not start the way he thinks it's going to start. If you go back to verse 18, it says, The ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It sounds like an innocent question, but Jesus says to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And I've said before, you know, we throw around this word good, but it means something different in the first century. I'm sure when good teacher came out of his mouth, this rich man probably thought he was being respectful. And if he was talking to any other rabbi, it, they may have taken it that way, but he was not just talking to an ordinary rabbi. He was talking to God. He was talking to the master teacher at this moment. And so good teacher comes out of his mouth and Jesus responds to it with, why do you call me good? You'll remember, I've mentioned before that the word good uh, in the first century is a very important word. To say something is good is to say that it is godly, it is of God, it is from God. Remember when God created the world, he would create something that he would say that it is good. He's saying, this is from me. This bears my image. It has my stamp of not just approval, but my seal of who I am on it. And so the man says, good teacher. It's a good or a way of saying godly teacher. But Jesus challenges him on this. And I'm sure it was confusing for the rich man. He's used to winning arguments. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? And what he's saying is, why do you call me good if you're not willing to call me God? Why are you calling me good, but you're not willing to call me God? Jesus here seems to want to be crystal clear about his identity, who he is. He's not hiding his divinity at all. In fact, he's revealing it simply by asking this question back to the man. 
He's revealing something. He wants the man to think deeper about the words that are coming out of his mouth. He wants him to think clearly about who he is addressing. So the conversation doesn't start the way the man thinks or thought it would start. But, you know, you got to give this guy some credit. He's a, he's a moral person, right? He's what we, in today's terminology, we would call a good person. Jesus questions him, and he says in verse 20, he says, you know the commandments, do not murder, do, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Notice Jesus lifts, um, lists off those five right there. And then the man responds in verse 21, and he said, all these I've kept from my youth. Notice that. Oh, yes, I've kept all of these, but not only have I kept all of these, I've kept all of these from my youth. Jesus lists off five of the Ten Commandments. The five that he does list all pertain to how we treat other people. The man responds, I have kept all of them, and I have kept all of them from my youth. Meaning, before it was even expected of me, I was keeping these commands. Before I was even considered to be an adult, before I was considered to be responsible, even before then, oh, I was keeping them. I've been doing good. I mean, this guy, based on how he treats people or claims to treat people, he, he must have been good, right? A good man, upstanding man. I imagine that he was nice, at least by what he's claiming for himself here. He was probably the Mr. Rogers of the Middle East. <laughs> He was nice to everyone. No fussing, no fighting, no fretting, all smiles, all kindness. The way he makes himself sound, that he's just, he's just nice. And he loves everybody. And he thinks he has his life together. And he thinks because he has his life together, he thinks this is going to get him somewhere. But he's defining his life being together based on how he has treated people. And Jesus knows this. And the problem is we do the same. We do the exact same. We reduce our ethics down to if I treat a certain people in a certain way, then I'm a good person. But both the behavior toward others and then how we choose those others is subjective to us. Which means we build our own moral codes, don't we? If I'm good to certain people, if I treat certain people in a certain way, then I will consider myself a good person. Most of the time we borrow this criteria from other sources, sure. But we still judge ourselves to be good based on the grid that we give ourselves. That's exactly what this man has done. He's defined his moral code based off a borrowed source, the law, and he has determined that he is good. And you may say, well, look at his source. His source is the Mosaic law. So, so isn't he supposed to live by the law? Well, Paul clarifies this for us in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Paul tells us in Romans 8, verse 3 and following, the law of Moses was, was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. 
He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied in us. What Paul clarifies for us is that we can even try to base our life off the Mosaic law and we still do not live up to the standard. It's the reason why Jesus has come. It's the reason why Jesus is on this journey toward Jerusalem, toward the cross. He is going to pay the penalty that we cannot pay so that the requirements of the law may be satisfied in us. And this rich ruler, he thought he was good. I'm fine because I'm living by the standards I've set for myself. So Jesus, though, he challenges him. He knows what's going on. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, one thing. Sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. One thing you lack. Sell all you have, distribute it to the poor, and come follow me. Is that one, or is that three things? As soon as we hear this, as soon as we hear these words come out of Jesus' mouth, what normally immediately grabs our attention is this idea of selling all and giving it away to people who didn't earn it. That's normally what jumps out to us. And we say, how in the world could Jesus ask this man to sell everything and then just give it all away and then come follow him? We see the end goal of Jesus' calling in this moment was that the man, the one thing was that the man would follow him. What Jesus is challenging this man to do is to come and follow. The cost, the cost is you have to be willing to give up anything to do so. Sell everything, distribute to the poor is the cost of the one thing that this man needs. Notice that when Jesus gives his list from the Ten Commandments, adultery, murder, stealing, false witness, honor your father and mother. Notice these pertain to relationships we have with other people. Notice that Jesus left out, have no other gods before me, do not make any idols or graven images, do not take the Lord's name in vain, the Sabbath, because Jesus knows what's going on in this man's heart. Not only that, you notice the last one he left out. Do not covet. He didn't mention that one. Because again, Jesus knows what's going on in this man's heart. He knows that right now he is coveting a relationship with God that other people have and he doesn't. And he left out the commandments that pertain to God. And this is the problem. The problem is the rich ruler will not let go of what he cannot keep in eternity. We see it in the next verse, verse 23. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was, notice those two words, he was extremely rich. He was, that is one word in Greek, it means I exist. I exist for the thing that's about to come next. I exist to be extremely 
rich. This man's existence was built on his earthly wealth. His whole identity was built on his earthly wealth, which revealed his idolatry, which was his earthly wealth. He went from a man who had possessions to his possessions possessing him. And here's the problem. And when Jesus issues this challenge, we think it's unfair, don't we? We say, how, how can you ask someone to sell everything? Give it away and then come find We think it's unfair, but when Jesus issues this extreme heavenly challenge, sell everything, give it to the poor, he does so to match the commitment level that's already in this man's heart. Because he was extremely sold out to his whole identity being built on the fact that he was extremely rich. And so when Jesus says, go sell everything, give it to the poor, he's simply matching that commitment level that's already there. It's already there. And the man has a choice to make. And the man's choice is he says, I'll take the now and risk the later His choice was to not receive the promise of heaven. Instead, he said, I will stick with what I have and what I can do for myself. And the text says he became very sad because his existence, his identity, was being this rich man. Notice he's not named, right? He doesn't have a name. Because his identity is rich man. And Jesus says, oh, this is not easy. It's not. Jesus, seeing that he had become very sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And there he's using hyperbole. Some people say the eye of the needle was the needle gate, and you'd have to strip the camels down to walk them through, and it was very hard. That's, that's great. Uh, may be the case, just no one's, never, no one's ever found the needle gate. I think Jesus is using hyperbole, like he's done in other places. And he's just admitting, yes, it's hard. But hard does not mean impossible. Hard does not mean impossible. And I really think that the Holy Spirit, through Luke, the writer, wants us to know this. Because the crowd, when Jesus says this in verse 26, those who were standing around said, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? Is salvation really this hard? Who can be saved? And then Jesus immediately responds and says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What Jesus says is that God can help you lay down anything that hinders your walk with Him. Anything. Doesn't matter what it is. And it doesn't matter how extreme it is. But He can help you with anything. I think this story is in here for two particular reasons. There are more. I'm going to give you two. Number one is this warning. And the warning that I think the Holy Spirit through Luke wants us to hear is that earth's extreme accomplishments get us nowhere in heaven. We like to think so. 
We, we really would. We like to think that in some way, deep down, I'm kind of becoming better, becoming good, getting better, and, and God sees that, recognizes that, and it's going to count for something in heaven one day. That's actually not how it works. But not only is this story in here because of the warning, it's in here because of the way that we are being shown. And that way is that the with God life is an eternal investment of everlasting proportions. The with God life. I use that language intentionally because Jesus said what is impossible with man is possible with God. And that kind of with God life is an eternal investment. And the promise that we get here is that it is a blessing both in this life and in the life to come. In verse 28, Peter said, See, we have left homes and followed you. And Jesus says to him, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Both in this life and in the age to come. And what Jesus is saying is that the blessedness of bold surrender, the blessedness of bold surrender reverberates through our life both here all the way into eternity. And here once again we see this is the gospel. It's the gospel message. Do you see it? The message that we're seeing here is that Jesus gave up the heavenly treasure for an earthly existence so that we could give up our earthly treasure for a heavenly existence. And that's what he's inviting this rich man to on this day. Jesus is the one who gives up. He gave up his heavenly treasure for an earthly existence on our behalf, for us, so that we could give up earthly treasure for a heavenly existence. And it's Jesus, he is the one who stands in between heaven and earth. And, and so many times we think he's standing there and he's mean and upset and just trying to keep people out of heaven. He's not. He's not a mean gatekeeper. Jesus is there issuing an invitation, and the issue, or the invitation that he's issuing is simply, I have made a way. I've made a way for you. But he's honest with us. He says, There's some things that can't come in. There are things of this world that cannot come in. They just can't make it. But you can come in if you'll lay those things down. If you'll just lay those things down, then you can come. You can come. And we, we hear that and we say, yes. Amen, brother. Yeah, oh, that's right. That's the gospel. And we believe it in our mind. But we're left asking the question, how? How in the world could you and I make a different choice? How could you and I choose differently than this rich man on this day? How can you and I really get to that place where we don't 
put all of our trust in ourselves and what we can accomplish. How do you and I get to that place where we don't trust our accomplishments, but we trust the accomplishments of Christ on the cross? How do we actually get there? This sounds really good. It's a great Bible story. Let's go teach it to kids. But it's not livable, really. How? Helen Lamell was born in 1863. She was the daughter of a Methodist minister. Her family immigrated from England to America. They first landed in Mississippi. I don't know why. Because um, it's hot over there. They eventually made their way to the Northwest where it's cooler. 101 years ago in 1922, she's in her late 40s, about to turn 50, I think, and if my math's correct on that, not good at math, so don't hold me to that. But in 1922, she writes a song. And in that song, she tells us how. She tells us how we can make a different decision. The song is, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And I love the line in the song. She pens the words that when you turn your eyes upon Jesus, the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Strangely dim. Strangely dim. They were once so bright. But when you turn your eyes upon Jesus, the things of this earth, they grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I think that's how we do it. I think that's how. How do we make a different decision than this rich man on this day? We have to constantly turn our eyes upon Jesus so that the things of this world can grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And much of life friend, is this constant turning of your eyes. You'll never stop having to do it, but it's a constant turning of your eyes upon him. And the result, I think Miss Lamell is right. All of a sudden, the things of this earth that seem to matter so much become so strangely dim. But boy, his glory and his grace shine brightly. So may we do that. Every day, may we do that so that we may make a different decision. Amen? Father, would you help us? Would you help us turn our eyes upon Jesus? Lord, would you help that in that moment when we see and behold him, the things of this earth, Lord, may they grow strangely dim. May our eyes and heart and mind, our life be filled with glory and grace because we see him. Help us, Lord, every day make a different decision than this man. Help us not walk away sad. Help us not turn away from the one who made a way.
but may we turn our eyes upon him.